welcome to episode 13 of the Dot Ball Cricket Podcast. Uh, exciting time in South Africa, high summer, and uh, we've got the thrilling India versus South Africa test series on the go. The first test uh, perhaps could have been a bit more exciting. Uh, it was a little bit one-sided with uh, India coming out well-deserved winners by 113 runs. We'll be uh, fully unpacking all the action from Supersport Park as well as looking forward to the second test, which starts at the Wanderers on Monday, January 3rd. It's a, a great pleasure for me to have with us on the podcast two former internationals in Paul Harris and John Kent, and also the doyen of stati- statisticians, uh, Andrew Sampson. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Thanks, Kent. Great. Yeah, well, so... Um, Looking at the test match that uh, we've just been through, South Africa losing by 113 runs. Uh, I'll go back to the first day. 273. Um, I know the Proteas mentioned that conditions on the first day, the pitch was still a bit moist and it was a bit slow. And so any movement that happened was slow. Um, and then it speeded up when India bowled to the Proteas. Uh are we buying that, gentlemen? What did you think of the Proteus bowling effort on the first day? Um, I'll, I'll give it a bash first. Um, yeah, I think we we really lacked intensity. I thought um, also where we bowled in that first you know that first session was was not up to our usual high standards. I know Rabada leading the attack. I saw the guys were mentioning about his pace was down, etc. Um, and Gidi also just battled a bit with his with his direction early on, and he came back really well, which is big credit to him, because um, obviously the talk was before the test match about how he hadn't bowled in a match for three months or so. There was Sri Lanka, there was the RPL where he didn't play, and there was the World Cup as well where he didn't really play. So this was, you know, we haven't seen him for quite some time bowling in a live game. So um, he obviously came back pretty strongly after showing a bit of rustiness and that sort of stuff early doors, but I, I was I was very disappointed with how we bowled um, in that first session as well. Yes, John, I, I think uh, 272 for three. It was not that sort of pitch um, as we saw after it from the, from the second day onwards. I mean, seven for 55 uh, on the second morning. Andrew, I'm not sure exactly the the runs and wicket stats after the first day. So it would have been what 37 wickets for. Not that many runs. No, not that many runs. Uh, 268 on the second day for 18 wickets, the most ever in a test day at Centurion. Uh, so the, the, the rest of the test match was a big contrast to that first day, when, as you say, paces of the bowlers were not what you'd necessarily expect. But again, as you were saying, as John was saying, they haven't, they haven't played much, and they certainly haven't played much first-class cricket in, for quite a long time, so it's inevitable that they're going to have be ease their way into it, I suppose. Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, Paul Harris is with us, someone who obviously knows that uh, Supersport Park pitch intimately. It was his home ground. But, uh, John, I like what you said about intensity, and I think that was the big thing missing uh, on that first day. And the whole attack looked rusty. Um, I think I think we could forgive Lungi and Gidi uh, for looking rusty. He'd only bowled seven competitive overs since July. Uh, but I'm not sure what happened uh, to the rest of the bowlers uh, on that first day. But uh, looking at the, the positives for South Africa from the game, uh, John, you mentioned Lungi and Gidi. Um, yeah, fantastic comeback uh, by him. Um, and I think as he plays more and more cricket, he is just going to get better and better. Uh, John, what I like about him 
he may have lost a bit of pace, but he's bowling with great control and skill at the moment. And I just have a, a sort of inkling that he might be able to fulfill the Vernon Philander role um, in the team. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think he's, he's clearly highly skilled. He's got the heart. He's got everything that you need as a fast bowler. Um, and, and, you know, to have him fully fit and, and firing along with Rabada, you know, Olafiers, you look at Janssens and all the rest. It's, it's a seriously potent, uh, bowling attack. I think maybe we didn't quite mention back on the Rahul was actually brilliant in terms of just being patient in that first day. I know, you know, he said it was a bit tricky, um, for batsmen early on. But he showed, you know, good good grit, and he, he dug in, and he, he left well. I think that was maybe a, a difference in in some of our in terms of our batting. Maybe when you have a look at some of those dismissals, a lot of balls the guys are playing at, uh, reaching outside the off stump. I know Coley did something like that in, himself, but yeah, it was a little bit disappointing um, from our our top order, obviously. Yeah, huge credit to Lokesh Rao, um, a marvelous innings by him, well supported by. Mayank Agarwal, uh, that opening stand of 117, just what India would have wanted, having won the toss and, and batted first. Uh, and you, I, I believe you have a, a little bit of an interesting stat for us uh, about Lungi and Gidi's performance in that test. Well, yes, you were talking about him not having bowled very much for six months. He's not, he really hasn't bowled all that much in his career. Uh, the first innings was the first was the most innings he'd ever bowled in his first class career in an innings. Uh, 24. It's only the third time he'd ever bowled as many as 20 overs in an innings. So that, that was good to see that because, you know, apart from the fact that he's had injury problems, you know, you, if you're going to play test cricket regularly, you need to be able to bowl that many overs in innings. So it was, and obviously taking a match career best of 8 for 102 and 6 for 71 in the first innings to go with his 6 for 39 on debut against the same team at Centurion three years ago. Yeah, so it's the most overs, not just in test cricket. Uh, that he's bowled, but in his entire uh, first-class career. Very interesting that. Probably um, in his life, because he wouldn't have bowled <laughs> in anything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure uh, how many overs he would have bowled for Hilton College. Um, <laughs> probably didn't yeah. need to bowl uh, too many to yeah. get the opposition out uh, on those nice uh, seam-friendly pitches uh, up above Peter Maritzburg. Uh, yeah, and, and I guess also that if he is going to be doing a bit of a holding role as a bowler. He needs to be able to bowl long spells. Um, I would think that's uh, kind of goes hand in hand with each other. Uh, just on the other bowlers, uh, I thought Kakita Rabada was decent, especially uh, in the second innings. Uh, Marco Janssen, uh, clearly, well, he even said it apparently, that he let nerves and the uh, enormity of the occasion get the better of him a bit in the first innings, but uh, got better and better through the test. Uh, well, what did you guys think of the rest of the attack um, overall, not just on that first day? I'll have a go there. That's John. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I think I think uh, the the tricky part was, I suppose, the the who who we pick to start there, and I suppose they went with Mulder, they went with Janssen, they went with uh, Keshev, Maharaj as well. It was because obviously we know Keshev and and Ashwin are you know two of the very probably right in the upper echelons in world cricket in spinners um, and and. They were pretty, I know Ashwin got a couple of kids towards the end there, but they were pretty much un, you know, not really surplus to requirements, to be honest. And uh, at, the, at the Wanderers, you, you wonder how that pitch is going to be prepared. Is it going to be quick, fast, you know, like, like what we normally see, where, where sometimes maybe spinners also don't have a huge role. Obviously, Newlands is a different 
sort of setup. Um, I know obviously to balance and attack it, it would be always good to, to play a spinner. I also think that's very important as a holding role. Um, but you look at, it was a little bit disappointing. I think some of the communication maybe in this test, we, you know, we thought everyone was fit and everyone was rearing to see Duan Olafia come through and, and bowl and then he wasn't utilized. Um, so yeah, I think there's, uh, there's quite a few, I suppose, selection and, and balance of your team and who's going to bat where. There's talk of, you know, are there going to be changes in the batting order? But, you know, it's the first game of the series. You, know, you don't want to have too much of a knee-jerk reaction. But, uh, yeah, hopefully if Olafia is also fully fit uh, on this occasion for this next test match, it'd be good to see him get out there because I was actually in, in at the Wonders that a uh, couple of years ago when he ran through Pakistan, I think it was. Um, and that was unbelievable to watch. And he's, he's been in form and, you know, he's been playing at the Wonders all season as well. Yeah, Duan Olifia, just to uh, provide the detail on that, um, had a bout of COVID uh, earlier in the month. And just his bowling loads, having recovered from COVID, just not enough, the selectors felt, uh, for him to last a five-day test. But uh, as you mentioned, there, were, there was no real communication about that. Uh, until a storm had been uh, created, uh, uh, mostly due to Marco Janssen really struggling on the first day. Everyone was wondering why on earth wouldn't they choose to own Um And some of us knew on the first day about the COVID, but uh, for the general public, it was obviously disappointing that the proper explanation only comes out uh, on the second day. Um, yeah, looking ahead, to that second test, John, as you say, one doesn't want to have knee-jerk reactions, but it is only a three-test series. So if South Africa don't win the second test, uh, they can't win the series. Um, if they lose, of course, then uh, that's the series gone already. Um, and so that brings us to changes uh, for the second test. Uh, there's one definite change that was always going to have to be made, and that is Quinton de Kock was going to miss under his test and therefore because of bubble regulations not being able to come back <coughs> into the bubble uh, would have missed the, the Newlands test as well uh, due to the birth of his first child uh, so congratulations to Quinny and Sasha but uh, I think Quinny shocked everyone uh, Thursday evening the the uh, night of the last day of the first test when he announced that in fact he's going to retire from all test cricket uh, entirely so uh, that's one definite change. We need to replace Quinton de Kock. Uh, Andrew, um, I know you've got all the stats that will put Quinton de Kock's test career into com uh, into context. And uh, just uh, what, who do you feel should be replacing Quinny uh, as wicketkeeper? Well, the, the reality is, I mean, Quinton de Kock, first of all, congratulations, Quinny, on fatherhood. I hope it all goes well. But... Um, the reality is, for a bloke with the kind of talent and, uh, uh, and skills that we know he's had, his test career turned out to be a little bit disappointing, unfortunately. Um, after 20 tests, he was averaging just over 50. Uh, and he, his last uh, 34 tests after that, he averaged just 33, um, which brought his career average down to 38.8 overall. Isn't as good as one would have hoped from him. Uh, one of the other disappointing elements of his retirement is that he he took 54 catches of Kahisa Rabadi in 44 tests, and quite early on in their career together, they did look as though there was a possibility that they'd go past um, Marsh Bold Lilly as the most common wicketkeeper bowl of dismissal in Test cricket. Those two were up to 95. Um, at the rate they were going, they would have needed about another 30 to 35 Test matches to go past Marsh and Lilly, which, which, given their current ages, 
Cox Lonely 29. That, that could have happened, but obviously not going to happen now. In terms of replacements, I think Carl is obviously the guy in possession, having played a couple of tests, obviously not as wicket keeper, but played a couple of tests in the West Indies. And he's been in the one-day squad longer than Rickleton as well. But those two both, those are guys who've both got very good first-class records as batsmen. Um, Rayner averaging 51. He was averaging 56 when he made his test debut. And Rickleton averaging 49. So I'm not quite sure what we can expect from either of them as keepers. But certainly, you'd like to hope with those kind of first-class records, they'll be uh, well-suited to test cricket. Yeah, just uh, as you say, Quinton de Kock, perhaps not... Fulfilling the great potential, I think a lot of us saw in him, and uh, he just in terms of wicketkeeper batsman, he ends uh, ends his career with an average that uh, is below the likes of uh, A. B. de Villiers when he kept Andy Flower, Adam Gilchrist, you know, well off those guys, um, Kubal Sangakara, uh, and even a, a pair of Englishmen, Les Ames and Matt Pryor, um, as wicketkeeper uh, ended, ended up averaging above forty. Les uh, Ames was a proper wicketkeeper batsman, averaged 40 in the days when wicketkeepers averaged 15. Yes. Yeah. Scored 100 first-class hundreds and took more stumpings than anyone else has ever taken as well. Jeepers. Yeah. So uh, I, I think we can feel a little bit sad that uh, Quinny perhaps not totally kicking on. Um, just on, on his replacement, I, I, I guess one of the things Ryan Rickleton has in his favour is that the Wanderers is his home ground. Um and he's scored hundreds in his last two innings uh, at the Wanderers. So clearly form is on his side as well. Uh, John Kent, just looking at the South African batting as a whole, uh, apart from Dean Elgar and, and Timber Bahuma, it really didn't fire uh, at Supersport Park. They were the only two uh, to really get stuck in and show a lot of fight. There has been some talk about choosing seven specialist batsmen. That would mean leaving out uh, the all-rounder, Vian Mulder, uh, what do you think about those suggestions? Uh, you did touch on maybe changing the batting order as well. Uh, Dean Elgar sounded fairly supportive of a suggestion that Keegan Peterson uh, should maybe be offered a bit more protection dropping down from number three because uh, in the five innings he's played in his test career so far, these are the scores when he's come to, come to the wicket. Uh, none for one, one for one, four for one, two for one, and one for one. So he's basically playing as an opening batsman. Elgar and Markram could have given him better protection by scoring more for the first wicket in that time anyway. Exactly. Number three. So I suppose if you're saying he's an opening batsman, I suppose what you could say, well, <laughs> you could you could get him up front if you want to try and uh, do that. Or you actually get an opening batsman. There's Esther Arvias in the squad already as an opener. He was the top scorer in the SIA series. You know, or... You do maybe Avia to open and Markram at four. Uh, Keegan, maybe he misses out. Maybe Rossi van der Dussen goes to three um, and you bulk it up. You could be Markram four, Bavuma, you know, five, um, you know, Verena six, something along those lines. That's not a bad looking lineup. Um, but I think about that Rickleton, Verena one, obviously Rickleton's used to batting top three, Verena more sort of four, five. You know what I mean? So you got to sort of work out where's your, Where's your gap? And uh, I agree with with uh, Andrew about obviously Rain is the guy in possession at the moment in time. So I'll, I'll foresee him getting that gig. Just uh, uh, two things there, John, which uh, Andrew can maybe confirm. Um, first of all, Aidan Markram, um, he has been a bit hit and miss lately uh, as an opening batsman, but I think I'm right in saying that when he got a thousand runs in a year and uh, 
when he was doing so well, it, it was as an opening batsman and against a very strong attack in, in Australia. So I, I don't know whether, it, you know, the batting lineup is struggling. Are you not maybe creating another problem by moving someone from where they've been doing well uh, into another position? You know, Mark Crum's opened the batting pretty much his entire career. I wouldn't see any point whatsoever in moving him down the order in Test cricket. Um, he's an opener, so he should stay there. Um, whether they, you know, as, as John mentioned, quite a few options for the middle order, but I don't really see. I mean, maybe Pandadushan and Peterson swapping places. Pandadushan going up to three to provide a little bit more protection for Peterson. That might help. Uh, but other than that, I can't see too many changes in the. Well, the only change in the top six being Verena coming in for the cock. There, there was a time when uh, the new guy, the new batsman uh, in the team, would be would be put in at number six or number seven. Um, yeah. Dean Elgar himself started his test career um, at number six with a pair. Yeah. <laughs> but, those, uh, those were the days when you had Alice, Callis, Callis and, <laughs> and Umla, three and four. Who the hell is uh, Alice? You know, so, they, so they were very well-established players in those positions, which... South Africa doesn't have at the moment. I do think that uh, perhaps it would be best for the team if a couple of the senior players, uh, the experienced guys, either Bavuma or Rassi van der uh move up to number three. And, uh, you know, then it, it just saves South Africa from making too many changes uh, mm. to that batting line. If Peterson can slot down to number five, if you like, um, Verena six. And uh, th- then, of course, we come to number seven. Uh, Wanderers pitch. Uh, all this summer, it's been a pace bowler's heaven, um, difficult to bat on. John, do you see South Africa perhaps playing the seventh batsman? Uh, do we stick with Mulder? Do we leave out Maharaj? Uh, these are all the difficult questions when it comes to balancing the side. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, if you look at that Indian setup, what they've done for a while is they've said, okay, we've got six batsmen. You know, they must do the job. They must score the runs. And if they don't, you know what I mean? You know, you're going to lose the test match. So they got their bowling depth that can take 20 wickets. And, uh, you know, we have that, that ability. But do we have the ability to say top six, you must score the runs? And then we can, you know, we can have one, one spinner. You know, that's how they had it. They had, it's basically like us having our top six, Keshav at, at seven, and then our, uh, our four fast bowlers. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's just that, the batsmen have got to realise you can't you can't turn to the next guy and say, but you must you must score the runs or or you must score the runs or the wicket was easy yesterday when 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 India was batting now it's tougher you, you've got to face up to the the fact that if you're in that top six you've got to get runs and you've got to get big runs if you want to win Test matches and uh, I think we're very quick to make excuses things like that I think we need to you know take responsibility obviously that's the first element um, and, and and then. You know, perform. I think really that's the main thing. I think we can we can do that. We can play for our four fast bowlers, um, and maybe Mulder misses out. Play Keshav as as a as a holding role uh, for those fast four fast bowlers, um, and then your top six got to got to deliver. Yeah, it's been very interesting that uh, India um, have been doing really well in Test cricket despite their three um, most senior batsmen, Kohli, Pajara, and Rahani, all averaging less than thirty. <laughs> over the last year, but I, uh, I tend to agree, John, with, with that philosophy that you've got six batsmen and they must and they must do the job. I do like an all rounder at seven. I think it brings balance to the side. I'm just wondering though that if the if the Wanderers is really bowler friendly, if batting is really going to be difficult there, um, can we get away uh, with just four quick bowlers uh, bringing in 
Ulufia for Maharaj, and uh, and you got Mark Ramalga if, if any spin is required. Andrew, is that is that some uh, a route you would be willing to consider, or is that too risky? Um, no, I think that's sorry, Andrew, go for it. <laughs> um, no, I think I'd probably play the spinner. Um, and probably keep Mulder in as well to play the, the all-rounder. It gives a bit of balance to this team overall. Uh, Maharaj, last, well, last season, just earlier this year in March, uh, at the Wanderers against the Lions in the four days domestic game, a full-strength Lions team. Um, Rabada and those guys were playing in that game. Took 13 wickets and scored sure. 89. He smashed 89 as well. So I think he's fairly comfortable at the Wanderers. His record <laughs> at, at Supersport Park is pretty ordinary. His three wickets have now cost well over 100. In the five test matches he played there. Um, so I'd, I'd be inclined to take what potentially Olafia coming in for Janssen. Or you know, the, other, the other alternative, obviously, is to trust Janssen's batting and leave out Mulder and bring in Olafia in place of Mulder. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Mm. Wow, amazing. Uh, Maharaj doing uh, so well at the Wanderers. Those might be the best ever figures, match figures, by, uh, by a spinner at the Wanderers, couldn't they be? Uh, I, I, I did look it up at the time. Hugh Tayfield did 13 with the series. Ah, okay. Another great uh, South African spinner of a bygone era. John Kent, uh, you wanted to weigh in there. Um, Marco Janssen at seven, do you think he's up to that? Um, yeah, I think that's probably one position too high, I would think. Um, yeah, it's just... Uh, yeah, it's just... I'm not sure how you're going to... He's going to apply himself. It's just that inexperience, you know, that, you know... At this level is, is, is tough and you're playing against decent seasoned guys that have been performing test cricket for quite some time. Um, you, we want to give yourself the best chance. So as a batsman, obviously Mulder's got the, you know, the, the, the wood on Janssen and, and with the ball probably, you know, the other way around. I, I was hoping uh, Mulder would chip in with a few wickets. I thought the wicket, he might have got picked up a few, a few wickets, uh, with the wicket and how, how it was. Uh, just a bit of swing, a bit of seam around, um, but they they left him pretty well. They saw him off whenever he played, so Rahul did a good job in that, um, and just wore down our attack pretty much, uh, which were, which was a good effort. But uh, yeah, it's it's a tough one. I just you know I'd, I'd have Lafia ahead of Janssen and Mulder any day. So he just he's a threat. He's a match winner, and you know obviously if you're not pitching in with bat or ball, then it's obviously a problem. Um, and, and Janssen obviously got a few wickets in that second innings, which is really good to see. But Mulder, uh, so far, has been a little bit disappointing, I think, with the batter. I would obviously love to see him do well and get some runs because we could really do with him. Yeah, 106 runs in eight innings this year for Vian Mulder. John, have you noticed anything in his batting that, that you feel is, is letting him down? I mean, I, I think he's looked pretty good. He just seems to get out there. <laughs> yeah, it's the same as like a Keegan Peterson. They, they, they look good, they look solid, but. They, they, you know, they keep getting out. So, yeah, I don't know where that's, you prefer to look a bit scratchy and inside edge a few and cover drive a few through mid wicket or something. You don't really mind how they come, but as long as you, you get through that tough phase and, and get onto a score of, you know, significance, I think, you know, the guys have looked good, but it's, you know, you know, like tens, fifteens, twenties, that's, that's obviously not going to win you a game. And I'm sure they're obviously well aware of it. It's just a, a pity they haven't been able to get through that. Yeah, I think everyone should try and look like Dean Elgar if you play and miss and scratch around awkwardly and get hit on the body. And, and uh, clearly that's <laughs> the recipe for, for success. <laughs> Thanks, John. Yeah, so uh, that brings uh, 2021 to an end then. Of course, the uh, second test 
again, Cindy, are starting in the new year. Uh, to all our listeners, don't forget that you can subscribe uh, to this podcast. Uh, we hope you all have a wonderful new year and uh, look forward to many, many great cricketing memories in 2022. And uh, just on the subject of a new year, uh, just quickly, Andrew Sampson, you've actually got the uh, complete test averages uh, for the last year uh, that uh, South Africa uh, have been playing. Uh, any real standout features on those averages? Oh, just the six test matches that South Africa played in the year. Um, so not a lot of test cricket yet again. Uh, but Timber Bavuma is actually top of the batting averages uh, at the end of the year. He missed two of the tests, but he ended up with 268 runs at 53.6. And Dean Elgar second at 44.2. And not a lot of other batting, unfortunately. Uh, with the bowlers, the leading wicket-taker actually was the guy who's missed um, the, the test matches or was going to miss the whole series. Unrich Nokia's 25 wickets came at 20.76. But uh, Lungi and Gini and Kikisa Rabad are not behind, far behind him in the wickets. And above him in the averages, Rabad is 23 wickets at 19. It's not bad for a guy who we seem to think is fading away a bit. And Lungi and Gidi <laughs> taking 22 wickets at 16.81, even ahead of Rabada in the averages. Mm-hmm. Who's, uh, who's the leading run scorer been, Andrew? Um, okay. Not, not Quinton de Kock, I imagine, even though he has been a great yeah. match winner for South Africa. The Kock, the Elga 442, de Kock was actually second in the run scoring at 348 with a good series in the West Indies, obviously helping that. Great. Well, Let's hope that the uh, bowlers can maintain those excellent averages in 2022 and the batsmen have a much more prolific uh, new year. Thanks very much, John. Thanks very much, Andrew. And uh, thanks very much to you, our listener. As I said, don't forget that uh, you can subscribe to this podcast and then you'll know exactly, you'll be the first to know when a new episode comes out. Uh, We've got up to 13 episodes now. Uh, we'll keep them going during this India-South Africa series. And uh, don't forget that if you want to contact us, you can tweet us at dot4podcast, one word. Thanks very much for your time, and see you after the second episode.